Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Salted Hash. I'm your host, Steve Reagan. Today, we're going to be talking about Paul Vixie, and we're going to get into some things called IDNs. So stick with me, and we'll be right back. So, Paul, how are you? It's good to see you again. Uh, life is good. Good to see you. Nice. Paul Vixie, the CEO of Farsight Security. And I'm hoping today you can give me a little bit of an education on these things called Global Internationalized Domain Names, IDNs. And I've uh-huh. seen uh, I've seen something recently where they were using special characters to spoof a legitimate URL that was way registered. And they were able to push them out in the phishing uh, kits. And I've been studying this stuff lately. So when I came across your report, I, uh, I actually got really interested because I didn't realize it was that simple. And yet the browsers are already starting to combat this. So real quickly, what are IDNs exactly? Uh, so quickly, uh, when the internet was first created sort of by the scientific and technical community, uh, it was dominated by the United States uh, alphabet, uh, the, our, our sort of uh, 26 letters and uh, the various symbols that we need. Uh, the, the encoding is called ASCII for what that matters. Um, and that was fine because everyone in that community spoke English. And so you didn't really need to display things in other other character sets. Uh, but now that the Internet is used by billions of people a day and has taken over kind of the global uh, commerce and uh, a lot of culture and, and all that, uh, it turns out that people who were not born and raised in the United States or went to school here uh, really want to see domain names in their local national language using the local characters that they use in the rest of their lives. Um, so it has taken quite a bit of time for the Internet technical community to then adapt to that need and figure out sort of how to cram these odd-looking characters into a system that was never designed to contain them. Uh, but the work has been going on almost 20 years, and it is uh, substantially complete. And uh, these names can now be bought. Uh, they can be registered. They can be used. You can visit them. Uh, you can visit websites that are only identified using these uh, so- so-called non-ASCII or non-U.S. Uh, character sets. Uh, so it's actually it's quite an achievement. It was very difficult to add these features to that system. It, it, it was uh, highly resistant to being modified in that way, but a lot of creative people put a lot of years into it. And uh, so that's the good, good side. Uh, as you may expect, there is a dark side to this, um, which is a bunch of foreseeable things were not foreseen, uh, or the, you know, the, the problem was already so hard, we could not fix this problem in addition to inventing that system. Uh, and so we have this look-alike problem, the so-called homographs. Let me stop right there and give you a chance to prompt me differently. <clears throat> so that's the good side of it. The uh, obviously there's a, there's a darker side. Um, you and I talked off off camera about this, but my my question is on that darker side. You know, as you said, this has been a, a pretty good advance over the last twenty years. But explain the dark side of this, the homeograph aspects. Sure. The uh, homograph problem is uh, probably best exemplified by a phishing attack. So if you want to send spam to a bunch of people and you want to pretend that it is from some bank and you're hoping that a lot of them actually do business with that bank and so will say, oh, it's from my bank, um, you will need something for them to click on that is confusingly similar 
to the actual name of that actual bank. And it doesn't have to be a bank, credit card companies, whatever it is. If, if you're trying to get them to visit a website that you have built for the purpose of capturing their password, uh, you're going to need to give them something to click on that they think is safe. And so a lot of early versions of this would be, let's say, uh, swap out the I for a one. And uh, mm -hmm. famously, Microsoft with a one got registered by somebody, you know, Microsoft.com. Uh, in the early years of, of uh, commercialization and privatization of the Internet. And it was quite a problem because a lot of people, certainly senior citizens, are easily confused uh, by something that looks kind of like an eye. Yeah, it's a one, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to click on it anyway. Um, and that problem kind of went away as the uh, web got larger and people got more sophisticated. But now we have a, the ability to replace that, let's say, an eye, to, to fraudulently present yourself as Microsoft, uh, but they've already got their own domain name, so you can't have that one, uh, you might be able to get one that actually has an I there because that little sm small letter I that's uh, the second letter of Microsoft is uh, present in a lot of national alphabets, not just the American English alphabet. And so the Unicode character set that's used the, for all of this stuff uh, gives you quite a few choices of which small letter I you ha actually want. And um, they don't look like ones. They look like eyes. They yeah. are indistinguishable optically. And so the, you're... The Latin you're, iota, uh, Unicode 0269. It's a dotless I, for example. That, that would be one example. There are more. And uh, what makes this especially hard to solve is that uh, Unicode is an evolving system. We will be adding more glyphs to it in the future. So pretty much whatever software we come up with to detect confusing similarities is going to have to be updated from time to time as we add more things that could be uh, confusingly similar. Um, so that's it in a nutshell. We're seeing this a lot. Uh, you know, we, we did an exploratory uh, research report on this in January. Uh, and that was kind of on a lark. It's like, gee, this could be a problem. I wonder if it is. And my company has a gigantic global network collecting information in real time about how the DNS is used. So we obviously had the right uh, data river flowing by to go see if any of it looked like this. And quite a bit did. So we put out an interim report in January on that topic. Um, and we're now doing a much expanded version of that report saying, the problem is way bigger than anybody imagined. It is common. It's being commonly abused, and it's growing. Yeah, just to, to uh, talk about that bigger report you've got coming out, over the course of a 12-month period, you looked at 100 million IDN resolutions with a focus on the 450 top brands, including those brands in 11 different sectors like finance, retail, technology. And according to this, you found 8,000 homeographs representing or containing top global brand names that were confusables. So yep. when you looked at those 8,000 names, were they is there any way to tell if they're just straight up there for crime or is this a brand doing something to protect themselves by pre-registering ahead of time? How does, how do you tell the difference between that? Um, well, uh, yes, there's some of them are defensive registrations. They're just somebody, some company who says, you know, I know this could be a problem and I'm willing to pay a, a few dollars a year to just register, reserve these names, uh, to keep them out of, of bad hands. But, um, Really, you have to go visit them. You have to go see how they're being used. What kind of a service do you end up talking to if you sort of resolve that name into an IP address and go visit the server that's at that address? Um, 
for, if it is a defensive registration, what you're probably going to get is a is a redirect. You know, you point yeah. a web browser with this, it'll just redirect you to the real site. And if we see that, then we know it must be a defensive, probably is a defensive registration. It could masquerade as one. Um, if, on the other hand, you see a website that looks, again, I'm going to use this term a lot, confusingly similar to the real company's website, uh, but you know it's not them. You know, it's hosted in some ISP in some out-of-the-way place. You know that that company would never buy those services. Uh, then you have to assume that uh, that the worst is happening and that they are attracting a lot of hits. Now, the, the report here says that uh, finance and retail were the hardest hit. Like, you see more more clones and confusions out of that space than ever. So then is that straight just financial crime? What they're trying to do is rip people off as quickly as possible? Just low-level phishing attacks and things like that? Or is there more something larger and sinister going on with these types of registrations? Um, there's nothing new under this particular rock. Uh, some of it is used to capture credentials. Mm -hmm. uh, some of it is to install malicious software, uh, uh, sideload various things into your Android phone or your Windows machine or whatever you happen to use. Um, you know, they're trying to add you to a botnet uh, for all the reasons that they want you to be part of that botnet, uh, or they are uh, maybe installing uh, Bitcoin mining software so that you can help them make money by uh, creating new Bitcoins. Frankly, I think a phone battery is the wrong tool for that job, but I guess if it's not yours, <laughs> you don't care if it's the wrong tool. So no, we're not seeing any unique types of crime here. It's the same thing that people have always done. Uh, once they have successfully misled somebody into visiting a web property that is not the one they think they're visiting. So to kind of sum this up, what advice do you have for administrators looking to guard their network or their brand? So network being guard the people on their network from being fished or the brand itself in dealing, what, what, what can they do to deal with this kind of stuff and get ahead of it without going out to register a, a bunch of domains using characters that maybe they know of and maybe they don't? Because like you said, as the, the character sets are large and vary. So how do they do it? Um, well, there are a couple of approaches, and unfortunately none of them is an uh, uh, ironclad guarantee of safety. Um, one thing to do, uh, most of the important, valuable brands in the world uh, have got some company who is in the brand protection business who has been you know, uh, contracted to go look for confusing similarities with the company's brands, uh, not just inside domain names, but you know, all over the place. You know, scan the web looking for something that could be harmful to our brand. Um, and you need to, need to make sure that whatever company you're working with to get that done knows about IDN. Uh, and this is, this is not easy uh, the way that I's and ones are easy. You actually have to do quite a bit of parsing and uh, building of data structures in real time uh, in order to detect that this could look like that uh, in, in the, if you screen it just right. Um, that's the first thing to do. Another thing to do, uh, which I think is uh, maybe less satisfying, it's less immediate, it's not a check you can write to get something better, um, but it will produce long-term results, will improve our business conditions, is to uh, go find the, uh, the registrar that you're dealing with, whoever it is you go to when it's time to buy another domain name, uh, or the registry, uh, like for example, Verisign is the registry for .com, um, Affilius would be the registry for, I guess, .biz, uh, and so on down the line, and, and remind them of what uh, your ID is doing. Like, uh, when you register a .eu 
uh, domain name, uh, which you can only do as part of the European Union and so forth. So that's not a global uh, TLD the way COM is. Uh, but just the same, when you register a name there, uh, they automatically, if, if I think you have to pay a little extra for it, but they will automatically block all of the homographs of that name. So you don't have to defensively register every variation of your brand in .eu. You just register the one thing that you actually want people to visit, and you reserve essentially all of the variations that could be confusingly similar. And um, you should be yelling at your registrar and yelling at the registry for the domain names you're buying elsewhere in the world and say, how come you can't be like those guys? Because we, you know, if we put some market pressure there, if we say you could charge a little extra, you know, new source of, of profit margin for you, uh, and I will stop yelling at you, so there are plenty of benefits <laughs> from it, um, then that will eventually turn this around. Because, you know, this is ready to become a forest fire. Right now, it's, you know, a house fire. But uh, if, if we don't do anything about it, things will get extremely bad. Extremely quickly. Paul, thanks a lot for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about IDNs or anything else related to DNS security or just the web in general, remember to check us out online at csoonline.com. I'm Steve Reagan, and this has been Salted Hash. We'll see you next week.